Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton. You've referred to people with a capacity for pregnancy. Would that be women? Many women, cis women, have the capacity for pregnancy. Many cis women do not have the capacity for pregnancy. Um, there are also trans men who are capable of pregnancy, as well as non-binary people who are capable of pregnancy. So this isn't really a women's rights issue. It's a, it's, we can it's recognize a that this impacts women while also recognizing that it impacts other groups. Those things are not mutually exclusive, Senator Hawley. Oh, so your view is, is that the core of this, this right then is about what? So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing that. Wow, you're saying that I'm opening up people to violence by asking whether or not women are the folks who can have pregnancies? So I want to note that one out of five transgender uh, persons have attempted suicide. So I think it's important Because of my line of questioning? So we can't talk about it? Because denying that trans people exist and pretending not to know that they exist I'm denying that trans people exist by asking you you if you're talking about women having pregnancies. Do you believe that uh, men can get pregnant? No, I don't think men can get (laughs) pregnant. So you're denying that trans people exist? Folks, we are not allowed to discuss whether or not men can have babies because to do so is violence. That was Republican Senator Josh Hawley questioning Kiara Bridges, a law professor at UC Berkeley School of Law in the United States. This is the level of debate in Western universities. We are lost, people, but we must fight on because logic like that cannot last. Hello and welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. It's great to be with you. Coming up, don't transition, says a 17-year-old girl who had her breasts removed. Dan Andrews thinks your kids are his. Bob McCroskery of New Zealand's Family First will speak to us on why some charities are more equal than others. His tax exemption status has been removed, but leftist charities are fine. All that and more, please stay with us. Daniel Andrews' policy to shut parents out of their children's gender transition decisions at school is breathtaking enough, but it could also be against the law. Here's what the Victorian Education Department's LGBTIQ student policy uh, support-headed parental consent says. There may be circumstances in which students wish to or need to undertake gender transition without the consent of their parent or carer and or without consulting medical practitioners. If no agreement can be reached between the student and the parents regarding the student's gender identity or if the parents will not consent, to the contents of a student support plan, it will be necessary for the school to consider whether the student is a mature minor. Now, the idea a government would encourage teachers to go behind parents' backs on anything, let alone something as life-altering as gender transition, is certainly out of step, to say the least, with most parents' expectations. Thankfully, it appears Andrews has overstepped the mark. Not that his regime has worried too much about the rule of law, or government transparency. In a paper for the Medical Journal of Australia, Kalina Olaris points out that Australian law requires parents to be given a say in their children's gender transition. Currently, all three stages of treatment for gender dysphoria in children and adolescents requires consent from all parties with parental responsibility, Olaris writes. Medical treatment for gender dysphoria typically occurs in three stages beginning in early puberty. Stage one, 
puberty suppression with puberty blockers. Stage two, gender affirming treatment with gender affirming hormones. And stage three, surgical gender affirming treatment with surgical interventions. Now, the idea that any of this is practice on children in the first place is astounding. It is particularly so given the growing detransgender movement and caution being taken by medical practitioners overseas. Somehow Daniel Andrews, blinded by rainbow ideology, has not got the memo. The Victorian Premier's policy says schools must work with students affirming their gender identity to prepare and implement a student support plan and work with parents but only where possible. It even advises schools to point children in the direction of controversial gender clinics, such as the one at the Royal Children's Hospital and the Monash Medical Centre. When it comes to showering and toileting facilities, teenage boys identifying as girls must be accommodated with the girls, including on school camps under the Andrews government. A compromise option of encouraging boys identifying as girls to use disabled toilets so as to preserve girls' privacy is rejected. The policy says schools should ensure the use of toilets and showers and change rooms that meet the needs of the student. This should be based on the student's gender identity, whichever facilities they will feel most comfortable using. Students without a disability should not be required to use disabled toilets or facilities. Now this policy goes on to say, the department requires schools to support LGBTIQ students by giving proper consideration to the impact of any requirement to participate in school activities according to gender identity or an assumption of heterosexuality, for example, school formals, sports activities and camps. Now this puts Victorian schools at odds with world swimming governing body FINA, which won't allow a male who has gone through puberty, but who identifies as female, to compete against women. Yet at school camps and swimming carnivals at state high schools in Victoria, testosterone fueled teenage boys identifying as girls can be all in with the girls. Now, Family First is committed to ensuring parents' rights are upheld at school and that women and girls are not disadvantaged because of ideology. Family First also believes children should be protected from experimental gender treatments, which have lifelong consequences. Requiring the Victorian Premier to uphold the law would be a good start. I don't know if I'll be able to fully carry a child. Um and I might be at increased risk for certain cancers, namely cervical cancer. And because I do not have my breasts, I, I no longer have breasts. I, I'm not able to breastfeed whatever future children I have. That realization actually was um, one of the biggest things that leads to me realizing that I, this was not the path that I should have taken. Anthony Albanese and Dan Andrews must meet Californian adolescent schoolgirl Chloe Cole. That was her you just heard. The Prime Minister because Labor policy is to provide taxpayer money for sex change operations on LGBTQ young people. The Victorian Premier because his conversion therapy law would put Cole in jail for telling parents 
do not transition your kids, which is what she says. Cola17 on her Twitter bio, she says that she's female, she's a former trans kid, that she started testosterone and puberty blockers at 13, had top surgery, i.e. her breasts removed at 15, and then detransitioned at 16. She said she didn't understand all of the ramifications of any of the medical decisions that she was making. Why can't we tell this to the kids sitting in Daniel Andrews' safe schools classes? It's not just the Andrews government, sadly. Every jurisdiction in Australia, whether run by Labor or the Coalition, includes gender fluidity teaching at school, where it purple days and all manner of rainbow woke ideology. Queensland and the ACT have similar conversion therapy bans, while Tasmania and New South Wales, both liberal states, are considering them. Australian kids are banned from hearing stories like Cole's. As a father of a daughter, I just want to weep. If you are considering transitioning, please wait until you are a fully developed adult, Cole tells Fox News. Her story is similar to that of high-profile UK detransitioner Kira Bell, who was put on hormone on uh, puberty blockers at 15. She had her breasts removed later. I could never have a real penis, Bell wrote in an expert witness statement. While Labor, the modern Liberals, the Greens and the Teals are all in with tr the transgender agenda for children, Medical experts overseas and at Sydney's Westmead Hospital are increasingly urging caution as more and more stories like Coles and Bells emerge. Australian politicians, however, seem oblivious to what experts are saying and take instructions from political activists like Anna Brown of Equality Australia, a permanent political campaign machine for radical LGBTIQA plus ideology. Brown has played a key role in going after Christian schools which seek to protect girls from the intrusion of biological males in their sport and private spaces. It's unlikely Albo and Andrews would ever meet Cole or Bell. They have invested too much political capital in rainbow ideology to turn back now. Easier to pretend they don't exist or they're just part of a right-wing conspiracy. The last word should go to Cole. She said, transitioning can damage your body and mind in ways that we may not fully understand. For more than a decade, Family First New Zealand has advocated on behalf of the family, that is mum, dad and the kids. It is respectful of same-sex marriage but doesn't agree, as should be its right in a free society. Up until last month, it was a charity with tax benefits for its donors. That was stripped in a Supreme Court ruling. Strangely, or perhaps not, other charities that advocate in the political sphere did not lose their charity status. To examine the double standards of the Jacinta Ardern government, I spoke with Family First CEO, Bob McCoskery. Well, it's fantastic to have with me today my friend uh, Bob McCroskey from Family First New Zealand. They're an advocacy group, uh, not a political party like Family First in Australia. But Bob has quite an amazing story of uh, being, I, I guess, uh, victimised. I'm going to use the word victimised um, by the government over there who have recently just won a Supreme Court action against Family First to have its charity status stripped from it. Uh, joining me now to discuss this is uh, my good friend Bob McCroskey. Bob, welcome to the Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Hello, good to be on the show again. Appreciate you coming, Bob. Um, I was really shocked when I heard the news that uh, I think after something of a, of a ten-year battle, uh, you've been deregistered. Mm. Tell us, tell us about that journey and uh, and some of the double standards that are inherent in what has happened to you. 
Yeah, it's been a uh, 10-year battle. It started 2012-2013, uh, and it was when the massive debate in New Zealand was happening around the definition of marriage. And uh, so the, the Charities Board had been keeping an eye on us and saying, oh, you know, you can't do too much political advocacy. Uh, we were saying, well, plenty of other charities are doing political advocacy, and just because politicians get involved in a family issue doesn't mean that we should suddenly back off because it's political. Straight after the definition of marriage was changed, after we had campaigned strongly, led the campaign against it, suddenly we received this letter saying that we were to be deregistered. Interesting timing. Uh, they waited because they knew it, it would throw a bit of um, heat on the whole debate if suddenly we were deregistered. So uh, basically since then, there's been four court cases, two in the High Court, one in the Court of Appeal, one in the Supreme Court, three quarters of a million dollars just for our legal expenses. The state, the taxpayer would have paid for theirs as well, which is why most charities can't afford to fight this, but we wanted to on principle. And, uh, well, in court cases, it was two all, but unfortunately, in football terms, the government scored the, um, the winning goal, which was the Supreme Court. So the Court of Appeal had held on majority that, yes, we were part of the debate. It was important just because there were different forms of family doesn't mean that we didn't have the right to uh, advocate for traditional family, natural family, natural marriage, one man, one woman, and to say that children have a right to be raised by their biological mum and dad. But then when we got to the Supreme Court, no, they held that unlike, and this is a key bit, Lyle, which really wakes people up to what's going on here, and they actually say this, unlike human rights and environmentalism, promoting marriage and family has no public benefit to be charitable. So what in effect our highest court in the land is saying is that the religions of sexuality and gender fluidity and indoctrination and critical theory, those things and environmentalism, of course, those things are, those religions are great, very important. But if you promote um, traditional family, if you promote marriage as it's come down through cultures, through millennia, then uh, that's not charitable. And that's, that's the really disturbing part of the judgment. So this is very disturbing, Bob, um, particularly the double standards. Uh, you know, mm. organisations like Greenpeace, um, it mm. it has an advocacy and an educational function. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about the Helen Clark Foundation named after a former New Zealand mm. Prime Minister, which advocates, uh, amongst other things, for drug liberalisation, mm. uh, the legalisation of marijuana. Uh, what's happened to the charity status of Greenpeace and the Helen Clark Foundation? Well, interestingly, Greenpeace also had to go to the Supreme Court a few years ago, and part of their issue was because some of their activity was illegal, which therefore made them the focus of uh, whether they should be registered as a charitable group. Yeah. They actually won back their charitable status. So now if you apply to be a charity and you tick the environmentalism box, you go straight to the front of the line. Uh, under that case. But you're right. The, the ironic thing was that two days after the Supreme Court decision, Greenpeace were handing a 100,000 signature petition to Parliament calling for a change in some law around environment. They were advocating politically. Mm. And during the cannabis referendum, which um, surprisingly, considering the media onslaught, we actually won and stopped mm. the legalisation of cannabis, uh, there were two lead groups um, wanting legalisation of drugs, of cannabis, and that was the Helen Clark Foundation, as you said, which is a think tank similar to Family First, and the Drug Foundation, both are charities, both are doing advocacy, but for some reason 
they're not being investigated or deregistered. And see, that's my warning to uh, people who maybe were celebrating Family First's demise. I simply said to them, hey, one day the nature of politics could change. We might have a totally different government who goes after environmental groups because they don't like the impact on the economy or goes after uh, you know left-wing groups. And then you'll be the ones complaining. So be careful of the precedent that this is setting because in effect it's saying that the state can determine what is in the public benefit. Now, we would say that public debate is important and the danger, Lyle, is that we're getting to the point where certain groups cannot even stand dissent. They cannot even stand opposition. They hate it. They call it hate speech. Uh, Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister, said when she was asked, what is hate speech? She said, when you see it, you'll know it. Uh, What is that? I mean, in effect, what it becomes is simply speech that they hate. And we're getting to that dangerous place where the state determines acceptable views and any other views are termed disinformation and misinformation and uh, that type of stuff. And it, it's quite concerning. And I think most fair-minded people see the uh, the irrationality or the unfairness of it all. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, th- this was essentially, though, a political decision, wasn't it? Uh, right, right from um, the onset after the same-sex marriage debate back in 2013, you guys were out four years or so ahead of us uh, in that. Uh, it was the government that went after you. Uh, these, mm. It was a political decision to engage or to appeal to the Supreme Court after the Court of Appeal kept your charity status in place. So it, it, it's essentially the Adern Labor government trying to shut you down and to make it difficult for you and your donors uh, to have a voice on matters of public interest. Well, in fairness, the action actually began in 2012, 2013. Now, it was actually a centre-right government that was in power, and it was John Key go. who was the Prime Minister. So uh, I don't know if you've watched Yes Minister from the UK, but of course, the funny part of that whole program is that it's not actually the politicians calling the shots, it's the public servants behind. And unfortunately, there's a very strong left-wing view in our public service, and that was what was really pushing it. And unfortunately, our centre-right government didn't stand up to it, and then become it, it's just um, uh, continued to roll as we've had now four and a half years of a very strong left-wing government uh, aided so by the Greens. In fact, some would say that's the deep state uh, acting against you, Bob. Well, I would say that our parliament uh, is no longer kind of centre-left, centre-right. Mm. I think that even the centre-right parties are swinging to the centre and almost to the left, especially on social and yep. moral issues. Yep. There might be yep. different from the fiscal aspect, but not on social moral issues. It's very different. For example, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, a, a fantastic decision, did away with a 50-year-old archaic law, which is anti-science, doesn't understand fetal development at all. Every political party in New Zealand came out in support of, uh, or sorry, in opposition to the overturning of Roe v. Wade, came out in support of abortion, even though it's a conscience issue. In fact, the centre-right party, National, actually shut down one of their MPs who put a simple post that said, this is a great day. That's how far left our government has gone, and you can guarantee that the public service behind that is even further left. Yeah, well, it's it's the same here in Australia, and you're quite right to point out I should have realised that it was uh, John Key's uh, Nationals government in power uh, back then when you 
when they first went after you. But uh, the same here, we've had um, a prominent Liberal member, you know, Conservative member of Parliament, uh, expelled from the Liberal Party Ooh, here in, yeah. uh, in the state of Victoria Definitely. for his views on Roe v Wade. But, mm. but Bob, um, in, in the judgment itself, um, your views on marriage are actually singled out uh, and uh, I think the assertion is made that um, the idea that the court doesn't agree that your particular version of the family and marriage between one man and one woman is uh, self-evidently beneficial. Now, yeah. I think you know we Australia, New Zealand, fairly tolerant societies. People accept different types of family formation, but I think most people would agree that the idea of a mum and a dad for a child, wherever possible, is self-evidently beneficial. But your Supreme Court says it's not. Yeah, you're not allowed to say it anymore. Uh, and and they really zeroed in on our views on um, natural family and and um, marriage. And they ignored all the other areas that we had focused on that have nothing to do with family structure mm -hmm. and everything to do with community and, and families being protected. For example, you know, we've been calling for a public health investigation into the harms of pornography. Uh, we've, we've put out papers on screen time, excessive screen time for young children. We've obviously opposed the gender fluidity nonsense that's going on that's being targeted at children as young as six and seven years old. Uh, I've written a whole research paper on the benefits of family dinners. Euthanasia, abortion, uh, cannabis, that's got nothing to do with whether a man is married to a woman. It's got to do with families, and that's why we're called Family First. Yeah. But they didn't want to focus on that. In fact, they, al they almost said, oh, look, that's kind of off to the side. All we're focused on is the fact that you have certain views about traditional family and about marriage. And mm -hmm. that's huge warning bells mm -hmm. because what we were doing was simply putting up arguments that actually when you look at child poverty, child abuse, when you look at these areas, even imprisonment rates, if you look at family structure, they play yeah. a significant role in predicting yeah. those negative outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to have that honest discussion. What the Supreme Court has done is just shut down that discussion. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Well, they've, they've made it harder to finance that discussion, mm -hmm. I suppose. You're not going to go away, but what it means yeah. is you've lost your charitable status. Greenpeace keep theirs. Those arguing mm -hmm. for the decriminalisation of drugs and other mm -hmm. harmful things, they keep theirs. They're allowed to advocate and educate. But uh, your donors no longer, um, I, I presumably, get a, a tax deduction. I'm not sure what the mechanism there is, but yeah, it, it, it puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah, it's a donation rebate. But, but what the key is, Lyle, it's the legitimacy yeah. of your right to speak. And so uh, our, we're not legitimately allowed to speak, but people on the other side are and get the endorsement of the state. Mm -hmm. And it's that uneven playing ground. And I think, you know, we've had donations from people who have said, uh, look, don't agree with the single thing you've said, but totally support your right to be heard and to be part of the public debate. And actually, that's what the Court of Appeal judges said. They said that just because uh, standards may be changing and society may be grappling with these issues, we need to hear both sides of the debate. And that's my, that's my challenge to uh, especially the left-wing side of the debate. They, if their argument is so weak that they have to shut down dissent, then they really need to go away and think about their argument again because they and they need to grow up, get a spine, and actually take on some of this debate. Just shutting down everybody and labelling it hate speech and disinformation doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The, the, the double standards here, the the delegitimisation, delegitimisation of mm. uh, 
conservative social views on marriage, family, uh, human rights for the unborn. Uh, it's stigmatising those of us who hold that and saying we're not worthy of the same standards that apply to to other groups um, that that might advocate and educate. Bob, um, you had an outpouring of uh, support in this, didn't you? Um, you know, your your donations have actually. Yeah. accelerated as a result yeah. of this yeah. sort of persecution. That's the irony of here they are trying to shut you down, but the, the people are saying, no, no, we, we're going we're gonna to support you and we're going to throw money mm. at you as well. Mm. Yeah, I think it's been a bit of a nuclear bomb under uh, New Zealanders to actually see, hey, um, gosh, this, this doesn't seem fair that we're shutting down certain speech. And for a lot of people, we are the voice of what they think. We're not just this yeah. lone wolf where it's just a couple of us who have these radical views. Uh, if you look at the polling, we do polling constantly on issues just to see where the public is at. In fact, uh, when I did an interview with uh, on Q&A uh, mm. in New Zealand, uh, you know, one of the things he tried to allude to the interviewer was, look, if you're in the minority on an issue, then um, perhaps we, we shouldn't be actually allowing you to enter the debate. And, and my response to him was, no, hang on. If, if, if we believe strongly that our argument is right, what we need to do is come out with the arguments and persuade the other side that actually our research stacks up and we should go down. Yeah. Th that's all part of public yeah. debate, isn't it? But they, they don't even want to go there. They're scared. Uh, and they just, you know, label it and they throw out terms like bigot and uh, every phobe they can think of and call it disinformation. Um, and I think people are starting to, and, and this court case, I think, uh, is finally waking up people. Mm. The other thing that has woken up people in New Zealand, Lyle, I'm not sure if you heard, but there was a college called, ironically, Bethlehem College, uh, which is in the Bay of Plenty, Tauranga, area and on their statement of faith they say that they believe marriage is a man and a woman and they also say that um, for they will not use personal pronouns they will always refer to children according to their biological sex well the um, LGBTQI etc activists have gone after them and said no you can't hold that view wow. so when you combined the attack on faith-based schools which is only Christian faith-based schools they only go after they're not interested yeah. in the views of other religious faith schools, but when they went after Bethlehem College and then they deregistered Family First for holding the same views, it's finally, I think, woken up people to realise, hey, this is actually uh, an attempt to shut down legitimate views. We may not agree with those views, but we respect their right to have those views. Yeah. Now, it's very chilling, and we're seeing the same attacks on Christian schools here, yeah. not on the Muslim yeah. schools, but for exactly the same reasons. Interesting to see it's yeah. happening on both sides of yeah. the Tasman. Bob, it might be um, charitable status uh, today, uh, but really what they are, th this is the thin edge of the wedge. I mean, the, ne the next step is is going to be, you know, criminalising our ideas yeah. and even the, the discussion yeah. of them. Um, I mean, yeah. is that is that alarmist to to think that way if we extrapolate the logic of what they actually think about our views? I mean, they, they, they yeah. believe what we believe is harmful. So it's only a matter of time before they uh, shut us down completely and make it hate speech against the law to say the sort of things that we're saying about marriage and gender. Yeah. Well, the ultimate aim is to shut down um, scripture. It's to shut down Judeo-Christian yeah. values, which have underpinned both our cultures and society and our laws. Mm -hmm. uh, it's to especially attack anything to do with biblical sexual ethics. Mm -hmm. And so that tends to be the target area, and it'll go under after any group. So, so um, faith-based groups have basically two options. They can either 
hold their ground like Bethlehem College did and like we will continue to do, or they will capitulate, they'll become woke, and they'll become irrelevant. Yeah. Bob, is there a fight back happening in New Zealand? Um, now, I, I know the answer to this question because you and I have discussed this uh, over the years, but um, you, you're very much a lone voice there, aren't you? I mean, we, we've got groups like the Australian Christian Lobby here. We've got groups like our Family First Political Party, Advance mm-hmm. Australia, Binary, um, Sky News. Um, you know, we have a number of conservative think tanks. Um, like-minded organisations are pretty thin on the ground in New Zealand, aren't they? Yeah, there are, there's there's individuals uh, who we try to utilise, and there's there are some there's some strong pro life groups, especially around the euthanasia abortion issue, right to life, voice for life, uh, family life international. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, no, it is few and far between. And part of the problem is that as Parliament has lurched left, conservative politicians are becoming increasingly isolated. You know, and I think that was uh, typified by the fact that a conservative MP who is pro-life, very a very conservative MP in the National Party, puts up a post saying uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is a great day, and he's told by the leader of a centre-right party, which and on a conscience issue, yeah. that he's to take the post down. Now that uh, that really and and look, the other irony is that. Um, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister, was coming up and uh, coming out and saying it was a terrible day for women when the Roe v. Wade was overturned. Of course, no word about the unborn woman. Yeah. Uh, and and what she wasn't acknowledging was that even within her own party, the Labour Party, there were MPs who voted against the very extreme abortion law which has been ushered into New Zealand. So, uh, mm. yeah, you know, for these political leaders just to come out and just say, yeah. we are united, we support abortion, we oppose the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It doesn't actually reflect the population. Yeah. So, so Bob, just finally, um, in, in the face of all this, the attempts to cancel you, to try and hobble your um, ability to receive donations and, and shut you down, what's the response? Uh, you know, where, where does Bob McCroskery and Family First New Zealand go from here? Oh, nothing's changed. We got to the next day and uh, we got over our little sulk and uh, and uh, opened our bank account and saw that the donations had flooded in. We had messages from people, even people who disagree with us. Uh, and, and it was just business as normal. Nothing has really changed. Sure, people who donate to Family First, they don't get the uh, one-third donation rebate through the tax department. But uh, I think people like a scrapper. Uh, people mm. don't like uh, people like the underdog. People don't mm. like an unfair playing field, uh, and so I think, if anything, I'm, I'm tempted to send flowers and morning tea to the charity <laughs> board. Uh, for, for, uh, every time they come after us, it, our, our membership and our resources just go through the roof. And in some ways, in a in a quirky kind of way, they actually legitimise what we're saying because mm-hmm. people realise, hey, the government wouldn't be attacking them if they weren't saying anything of worth. So what are they saying? And yeah. so, and then they then they have a read of what we're saying, and they actually find that actually it's quite reasonable, it's researched, it is credible. Uh, it's just that people don't like it, and. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll just keep speaking up. They'll, they'll never muzzle us. And, and look, Lyle, one of my favourite quotes is from Reverend Billy Graham, who said, when a brave person takes mm. a stand, it stiffens the spines of others. Yeah. And uh, it's like you, Lyle, when, you, when we stand up and speak up on these mm. issues, there is actually a groundswell of, of people who 
spines are stiffened when we make that stand. That's my challenge to your viewers. You know, continue to speak up because what you'll find is that others will gather in and, and say, hey, yeah, no, look, I agree. They just need a little bit of encouragement and stiffening of their spine. Yeah, good on you, Bob. Well, thanks for all that you're doing over there and thanks for spending some time with us today. Um, I think we're what, one thing we've learned from New Zealand is you guys are a few years ahead of the, the woke curve than us. So, um, you know, what's happening there could well be coming here and I think it's a timely warning. So, Bob, thanks very much for sharing that with us and uh, all the best okay. as you continue to stiffen spines uh, in New Zealand. Good to talk to you, Lyle. Well, that's it for today's Macquarie Street Political Podcast. Thanks so much for your company. Don't forget, you can keep up with my political commentary during the week at familyfirstparty.org.au. Thanks to Dave and Aidan at The Good Source for editing and production once again. Until next week, stay engaged with politics. 